Hi, lifers. Welcome back. My name is Heather Drew, and this is the Life in the Whirlwind podcast. Today is episode 12, and this episode is called Optimal Conditions. As a reminder, if you haven't already checked out the website for this podcast, which is not just a podcast, it's lots of other things also, the website is www.lifeinthewhirlwind.com. So please come check us out. And there's actually a great feature called the giving feature. If you love this podcast and have really enjoyed what you've been hearing, uh, we've started taking donations for this podcast. So if that's the kind of thing your heart's feeling right now, please go to the website and at the top right corner, it says be a giver and there's a button you can click. Uh, unfortunately we are not a 501c3, so it's not tax deductible, but it would be giving out of the generosity of your own hearts toward this lovely production, this weekly production. So I hope you've been enjoying it. And, um, if you'd like to make a donation, that's how, okay. Okay. Back to the good stuff. Episode 12, optimal conditions. So it's pretty amazing how these themes for these podcast episodes present themselves from week to week. So some of this episode will be a little bit of a confession, um, because as always, I want to be real in these podcasts. And there's a there's been a lot going on in my life and in the small and large world around me. I'm not the only one, of course. You're all part of that, but... Um, but I just kind of want to share a little bit about my experience. So uh, I got to thinking recently, I've had a hard month, <laughs> to be honest. And I've been really, I'm a very uh, contemplative thinker. I think a lot. I consider a lot of things. I'm sure that's not surprising to you given the content of this podcast. But I got to thinking about how often we do not do something because we're waiting for optimal conditions. I've heard a lot of people, including myself, say things like, I'll do that when, or I'll say yes to that when. So there seems to be a lot of things that we wait for in order to say yes to some things. So our expectations, I think, are too often inextricably linked to how we move in the world. So if we expect a certain kind of condition or a set of conditions to be present in order for us to do something, it definitely impacts how we move and make decisions in the world, right? So I would argue that this holds us back from taking risks. And anytime we choose not to take risks, uh, calculated risks, thoughtful risks, obviously, um, not deadly risks or something, but anytime we say no to taking calculated risks or, um, things that kind of just push our edges, I guess you could say we are getting less out of life as it were. So here's my first confession. I do this. I had a friend, I had several friends this week approach me in great love, um, 
but very direct love this week to talk to me about how (laughs) the ways in which I have let some of the circumstances of my life right now unravel me, perhaps. And I don't think, I definitely did not feel criticized. And I feel free to grieve, which I've done. And I've been faithful to that process. I've been open about my grief, not all the time, but at the times that I need to be and with the people with whom I need to be honest. And that's been really helpful. At the same time, I have found myself hiding and shrinking quite a bit. And I could sort of feel it. It was sort of gradual. I am a pretty open person, in case that wasn't clear. But I started finding myself not being so open. And I've started, I have started finding myself feeling critical or um, fearful. And this is only really in my personal life. This isn't so much in my, um, you know, you might not know it. If you see me around, you might not know it. Some of you have seen it. But all that to say, these friends who have approached me There have been three of them in particular, you know who you are, uh, who have said things like, you seem like you're shrinking. What do you think that's about? Or I see you hiding. And one friend even said to me, Heather, you're really open and vulnerable all the time and you let people know you and it's really beautiful. But I wonder if you are letting your past experiences of vulnerability guard you from deeper vulnerability in this season of life where you're having to make different kinds of decisions and you're having to put yourself out there in a different way and you're being called into something more. And that was really challenging. And I really, really appreciate it. I really believe that these friends came to me in love. So thank you, friends. Holy smokes, you have been very loving to me. And also, it's been hard. (laughs) One friend I said, I love you and I want to punch you in the face at the same time right now. (laughs) You know who you are. (laughs) But um, so anyway, all of this kind of came to me this week. And, you know, it was not so gradual started the beginning of the week and then it just progressed. And these three friends came to me, have had all come to me by, by the time Wednesday hit and Thursday, I found myself with some extra time. And so I decided it was time to center. It was time to sit down and listen to myself. I was, I've been really busy and I'm doing a lot of things. I have two jobs. I'm in yoga school and I have all these things going on and, and I'm grieving a friend's death. And so there's just a lot of things going on, not to, not to mention like family life and community and friends. So I'm really busy. I decided Thursday was the day I'm going to sit down and I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to sip my coffee. I'm going to sit in my right side up room. And I'm going to try to right side up some of this craziness that's going on in my head because I was really letting the weather 
get the best of me. I was not embracing my mountain story. I was really unraveling. Um, I was getting whipped around. So I was letting, I was letting that happen. So I decided I was going to spend some time with Brene Brown. Brene Brown, in case you have not heard of her, I would really, please when this, like this week sometime, give yourself the gift of going to the internet and looking up Brene Brown, B-R-E-N-E, Brown, and just Google her name and then type in listening to shame, which is her TED, the name of her second, I think it's her second TED talk, but it's one of the, it's, if not the most, it's one of, one of the most listened to TED talks that has ever existed. And it's over 7 million views or something. Um, go increase that number. It is a wonderful talk. It has impacted me repeatedly. Here is one of the things I'm going to read to you that she says in this talk. I'm trying not to give any spoilers, but here we go. She says, I learned something hard about myself. She's talking about, um, after she gave her first Ted talk, it went unbelievably viral. She was a little worried that like hundreds of people would watch it and that she'd, you know, be seen. And it ended up that 4 million people watched it within a couple of weeks. So this is what she, she was talking about that. And then she says this, I learned something hard about myself. And that was that as much as I would be frustrated about not getting my work out there into the world, there was a part of me that was working very hard to engineer staying small. I define vulnerability as emotional risk, exposure, and uncertainty. It fuels our daily lives. Vulnerability is our most accurate measure of courage. To be vulnerable, to let ourselves be seen, to be honest. Vulnerability is not weakness. In fact, that is the one, one of the most dangerous myths we can ever believe. She also talks about um, a lot of her work. She is a, a researcher, uh, a social researcher, and she has researched shame and vulnerability. So this is what she's talking about. She quotes Teddy Roosevelt. This is a pretty famous quote, actually, but I want to read this. She quotes it in this talk, Listening to Shame. Um, she does sort of a version of this quote, which I'll read to you, the full quote here. This is Teddy Roosevelt. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error. Or shortcoming. But who but who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms and great devotions? Who spends himself in a worthy cause? Who at best knows in the end the triumph of showing up? And who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly? So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Ugh. So there's 
there's the question that comes from this, which is why do we wait until we have what we call optimal conditions to enter this arena of life, as, as Teddy Roosevelt calls it? We wait until we feel bulletproof. We feel we cannot fail. Why is that? And what will that prove? There's this song that is pretty old, I believe. And it says, if we tarry till, we, till we're better, we will never come at all. It's just one line of the song. It's a great song. I don't even remember what it's called, but it's a great song. Um, but here's the true danger for us as human beings. When we've already decided that the point of life is to appear bulletproof and, you know, we're ready to take names and like be defeatless, <laughs> undefeated, we've already lost the plot because the point is not to be perfect. It's not to be infallible. It's not to not make mistakes. It's definitely not to be unwoundable. The point is to show up and not hide and not shrink. So what happened to me this week? I, this led me to this other question of like, what exactly happened to me? Because now today I feel, compl- I feel different. Um, something happened to me. I spent this time with Brene Brown on Thursday. I had sort of a, a mini, I would call it like a mini awakening of some sort because I really, I dove into this stuff and I really got into the center of what was happening and I was looking at it and I was paying attention and it reminded me, Brene Brown and Teddy Roosevelt reminded me, this is what I do. I want to show up. I want to not wait until I feel like it's going to succeed, whatever that means. Uh, So what happened to me this week? I spent time talking and I spent time listening to several close friends who really know me and really love me. And I opened myself up to that, both to see myself and also for them to see me. I would argue, and you'll probably hear me say this a lot, both in this podcast and in person if you know me, is I really believe the chief purpose of being a human being is to be seen and known and to see and know others. When we show up to that, things change. Big things change, I think. So I spent some time with these friends and I spent some time with myself and I spent some time with Brene Brene, Brene, Brene Brown on reminding me of, of the power of vulnerability, which is a wonderful reminder. And she's great. Uh, at this whole vulnerability thing, she embodies <laughs> how I feel about vulnerability. It's like, I love it and I hate it. And you can see that on her face when she's talking about it. And then thirdly, the third thing that sort of happened, or the fourth thing that I guess sort of happened to me since, the, since uh, you know, Wednesday of this week, last week, my yoga teacher, Jake, was talking on Saturday about steadiness and centeredness and how this was my interpretation, of course, because I was already thinking about this podcast and I was already sort of putting these things together in my mind. But I was thinking about how centeredness and steadiness are kind of 
the only optimal conditions that we can expect. But let me tell you what I mean by that. So this is a direct quote from Jake. Jake Miller, great person, one of my favorite human beings. He said, steadiness doesn't mean you stop moving. It means moving with attention and intention from the center. Move both from and deeper toward the center. Now, what does the center mean? (laughs) I think what it is, is I think it's this stillness in the whirlwind. It's this center. It's this, um, I think I said in one of the first episodes of this podcast that the whole, the quote that inspired this, the name of this podcast and this website was this Kierkegaard quote that talked about being, planting yourself firmly in the eye of chaos. That's what center is. It's literally like at the center of something, but it's still, it's like the hub of the wheel. If a wheel is spinning, the hub is also spinning, but it's still at the same time. So think about that. You know, what is this center for you? So this all, okay, so trickle down. This is how my brain works. It's like one layer at a time. So that's the next layer. Here's the next, next layer. This all got me thinking about our age old question here at this podcast. How do we go from unraveling and chaotic, being swept up by the whirlwind and tossed around to being centered, unshakable, being the mountain, being that center, the hub of the wheel? And that's when my friend Ryan came in to the picture pretty clearly. Well, first of all, we ha- he's he was part of this conversation. He was one of those friends. Um, but my friend Ryan was talking to me about um, kind of what happened. <laughs> he was the one who really invited me into remembering how much vulnerability and showing up and openness and not hiding matters. So he said to me, he was, we were talking about this and he reminded me of the Joe Harry window. And this might be a new concept for some of you. What this is, is it's this, it's sort of like a model of how we show up and be known and know others and things like that. It's kind of hard for me to explain it. Um, what I will do is I'm going to put a picture of it up on, uh, the, this podcast episode site. So if you, this is another great reason to go to the website, life in the Um, and this is episode 12. So it's life in the slash podcast slash episode 12, no spaces in there. I'll post a picture of the Joe Harry window, but what the Joe Harry window is, imagine this, imagine a box, sort of a rectangle or a square, and it's divided into four parts and the top axis, I guess you could say, um, so the top left box of the four is, it falls into these categories. So it falls into this category of This is information known to you and known to others. And this is sort of like an open area. It's this part of you that's open. 
the one just to the right, the second section, is it's not known to you, but it is known to others. And that's called the blind spot area. The third section, which is the bottom left section, is called the hidden area or the shadow self or the facade. It has different names, but it's known to you, but not known to others. So it's where we hide. And then finally, the fourth section is the unknown area, which is the area that is not known to us and it's not known to others. It's this stuff, as Freud would say, it's this iceberg stuff at the bottom that we don't see at all. It's this unknown area that hasn't been discovered by us or others yet. So that's the Joe Harry window. So what does all this have to do with centeredness and optimal conditions and Brene Brown and us and vulnerability? Obviously, this is about vulnerability, but what's interesting about the Joe Harry window is that what expands the open area, which is that part that's known to me and it's known to other people, are two things. Two things expand this open area, make us more open people. The first thing is sharing yourself with others. In other words, showing up at the table. Number two, listening to other people share what they see about you. So it's this give and take. What expands this window that opens us up more means we open ourselves to others and we open ourselves to their vision of us. So we ask and we tell. Okay? So just think about that. If you're a visual person, I invite you to go look at what Joe Harry window looks like. J-O-H-A-R-I. So slowly as these two things happen and this open area expands, the unknown area naturally shrinks, right? It's, it's this dynamic movement where as one box expands, the other areas shrink, And the one that's going to shrink the most is the one that is directly diagonal from the open box, right? This open area. Keep that in mind, okay? Remember that Teddy Roosevelt quote that I read from Brene Brown? Let me just read this one part again. The credit belongs to the man who actually is in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who come short again and again because there's no effort without error. He spends himself on a worthy cause. He, at best, in the end, ends in triumph, the triumph of showing up, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he failed while daring greatly, right? So he's talking about this arena, this famous, this is called like the famous arena quote. Well, guess what, guys? Guess what the section of the Joe Harry window is called that's the open area that is known to us and known to others? It's called the arena. Who do you share your life with? And I mean really share your life with. Who do you share yourself with? Your true self, this part of you 
that is neither facade nor blind to you, who do you share this with? Who are you opening yourself to? Are you the critic standing outside the arena? Or are you the person showing up inside the arena, covered in dust and sweat and blood, and getting your hands dirty again and again? Daring ever so greatly, because that's what this, cre- this necessitates. It necessitates courage. But when you show this courage, you show up to life. It takes courage to show up and be open, doesn't it? So what are the optimal conditions for life? This. Showing up to the arena just as you are. It's hard work. It's not easy. It's not simple. But this is life. These are the optimal conditions. Showing up, asking and telling, and expanding your openness. This week's invitation to you, my dearly beloved friends, open yourself up. Stop hiding from yourself. Stop hiding from others. Don't give in to this seduction of making yourself small for fear of critics, for fear of pain, When I say critics, I don't just mean external critics. I mean the internal one also. We are afraid of pain, but don't let that fear make you hide. Don't give shame the ability to breathe near you. Come show up in the arena. You will find peace and freedom in the light because the light makes your face radiant in the arena. Dirty clean or not. So dare greatly come into these optimal conditions because they are right here, right now. My blessing this week is straight out of the mouth of this wise woman, Brene Brown. And this is her final word for her listening to shame TED Talk. And so I'll leave you with this thought. If we're going to find our way back to each other, vulnerability is going to be that path. And I know it's seductive to stand outside the arena because I think I did it my whole life. And I think to myself, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to kick some butt when I'm bulletproof and when I'm perfect. And that is seductive. But the truth is, that never happens. And even if you get as perfect as you could be, and as bulletproof as you could possibly muster when you got in there, that's not what we want to see. We want you to go in. We want to be with you and across from you. And we just want for ourselves and for the people we care about and for the people we work with to dare greatly. I hope I hear from you this week. Please email me anytime. And thank you for showing up. Go live out this beautiful invitation to Dare Greatly, my friends. See you next week. Give me the heart of you
Colors in 